Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 29th of January 2017, entitled Experiencing the Presence of God, Part 1. And the Bible reading is taken from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 to 9. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. As we look here this morning, now I really don't think there's any chance that I will get through all of this today. Uh, and I have chosen not to start back at this point. Yes, we've still got a few things to go in our Contending for the Faith series. Uh, we've got at least heaven and hell to, uh, to look at yet, and so uh, God willing, we'll come back to those. But I didn't want to start and get a couple of messages in, and then we got all the disruptions of the conference and all that, and then to come back to it afterwards. So we're going to wait till after the conference, and we'll get back into the, to that series. And so I was praying to the Lord as to where he would have us to go. And I think that as we look at this passage, well, let me read the Scripture first of all, and then I'll make a few more uh, comments on it. In, uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, let's begin by, by reading here. He says in verse 1, Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and remember them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Remember them which have the rule over you, have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today. And forever, be not carried away, carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. It is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. And of course, you can continue to read on down for yourselves, but may the Lord richly add His blessings to the reading of His Word. As I was thinking upon this passage and praying about what to preach on today, I was thinking of a lot of things. You know, there are certain people that when they come into a room, their presence is felt by everybody. I mean, you could probably be just about anywhere in the world, and when royalty entered that room, there would be a reaction because their presence was known. We find that there are some people just because of maybe it's their popularity, maybe it's their power, maybe it's the influence that they have, but their presence would be immediately recognized by anybody, whether they entered their presence or the other way around. And then I got to thinking that, you know, we live in a day I don't know how many of you, but man, it pesters me sometimes because that little 
orange little light on the dash that looks like an engine and all the different cars. That thing's always coming on for something. Most of the time, there's nothing wrong with the car. It's just something's going wrong with the sensor. That sensor that's supposed to be checking this or checking that or checking something else. So more times than not, it's not that there's an actual fault. It's just a fault with that which is supposed to be sensing whether there's a fault or not. You know, we have radars and sonars and heat sensors and motion sensors and light sensors and, you know, even the windscreens on our cars have rain sensors in them a lot of times now so that the, the wipers know when to, when to wipe and when not to. There are things that we're talking this morning about the universe and all the stars and everything that's out there. And, of course, these, these telescopes that can pick up the faintest light and they can sense those things and help us to know we find that we have sensors all over the world to defend ourselves because it can sense an airplane that's still hundreds and sometimes thousands of miles away and tell us that they're coming. But yet, with all of that, we live in a day when all too many times, all too many people have no way of sensing the presence of God. Of God. I mean, we've been looking even just in our first two lessons in our Bible study times, and if you don't come at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, shame on you. You ought to be here for that time. But the first attributes that we've been looking at are those things which allow us to look at God and see His his awesomeness, and we've just looked so far at how that should bring worship and how that we can trust Him no matter what. You know, so many times, if we don't sense, we were talking about the vastness of the universe and a God that not only knows how many stars are out there, that He knows them all by name, and yet we're still just this new telescope that's been developed that's able to see farther than Hubble. And they know there's a lot out there that's beyond our sight that we, we can't see. But yet, our God, He knows it all. We find that there is nothing beyond Him. His presence, His power, His knowledge, all of these things. And may I say to you that He's promised us that he'll never be far from us. He's promised us that he even knows how many hairs are on your head. For some of us, that job's getting easier all the time, isn't it, Romani? <laughs> God doesn't have to count so high. <laughs> but that's pretty awesome when you stop and think. The number of stars, the number of hairs, nothing is beyond him. But in knowing all of that, do we recognize and realize and experience the presence of God in our lives all the time. Does God promise us or does he not that he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us? That's what that we read right here in our passage today. And, of course, that is a repetition of the passage of a promise that's already been made back in the book of Deuteronomy he said, God has said, and that promise is still true, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. With God's always there, why do we not sense his presence? If we could sense the presence 
of some earthly being that walked through those doors back there because of who they are and what they were capable of and their influence. If we could sense that, why do we not sense the presence of God in our lives so much of the time that we're living and we're going about and we're doing our things and it's as if, as if he's not there. He's like maybe in another room, in the, in the background somewhere. We'll call him out here if we need him. But you see, that's not God. Have you experienced those times in your life when God was so near to you that you could feel his presence in such a way I've often said, you know, it's those, those times where there's, there's times when I've been alone with him in his word. And it's like God gets to talking to me in, in such a way that suddenly something may bring me back to my senses, like my wife shouting at me or the phone ringing or something. And, you know, I've just been oblivious to all of it because God's presence was so real. Those times when you're on your knees in prayer, and those times when, honestly, there could be an earthquake in the same room that ripped the room apart that you're in, and you wouldn't even know it because you're in the presence of God. Why do we not experience that presence more in our lives? You see, I honestly believe this. I believe with all my heart that if we truly experience the presence of God in our lives, and therefore it's going to change the way we live, it's going to change the way we think, it's going to change everything about us, and guess what? It's going to change the people around us, I believe. That so many times we wonder why that we don't see people coming to be saved in the multitudes like some of the great revivals of history and things like that. Folks, I believe probably one of the biggest things is because the presence of God is not being known and sensed in the Christians' lives. Revival is about what God does in us that already believe, and that affects the lost world around us. Experiencing the presence of God. I just want you to get beyond just being able to quote and know a verse that says, I will never leave thee. I will never forsake thee and be able to experience the presence of God in your life today, right now. You see, that's the promise that he gives us here in these verses. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. In other words, it shouldn't be about what I want, what I want, what I want, what I still We should be content with the things that we have. Why? The next word in your Bible says, for he has said, because God has said, you ought, there's no need for you to go around wanting more of the things of this world. You ought to be able to be content. How content are we in the state that we're in rather than wanting more, 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 more of these earthly goods? Too many Christians that I know are not content. They're not satisfied. Because their eyes are on the things of the world rather than upon the fact that God himself says, I will never leave thee, I will never forsake ye, so that you may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Circumstances doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the things around us say or show or feel. If we truly know without a shadow of a doubt 
that we're in his presence, that he's there with us, we will be able to know real contentment. You see, it was man that rejected God's presence. If we look back into Genesis chapter 1, you see, the first of all, I just want you to realize, first of all, the promise. Do you believe that God is telling the truth when he says that he will never leave you nor forsake you? If you really believe that, then you have to know it's not God that's gone anywhere. If we're not experiencing his presence, it's got to be something in me, not in God, because God's not moved away. Back in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. You see, there in the garden, God created man in his own image. We can read on down in those verses if we have time, but we've read them before. It was God, His presence there with them in the garden. They walked with Him in the cool of the day. God created man to have fellowship with them. Adam and Eve knew the presence of God in a real way as He walked in the garden. And I'm saying to you, God has promised you and me. God has promised that He's just as real for us today, that He's just as present with us today as He was with Adam and Eve when He was walking through that physical garden upon this earth. They didn't know. (laughs) They didn't know what it meant to be without God. They didn't know because in every aspect of their lives, we don't know what it's like to be without sin. (laughs) Whatever it is in our lives, If it's separating us from God, it's sin. It's that sin that separates us. You see, we could read on in Genesis chapter 3, and we won't for the sake of time, but it was Satan that drove a wedge between God and man. Suddenly then, after that sin entered in, God walking through that same garden, but what were they doing? They were hiding. They were hiding from his presence. And God asked them, and maybe we need to ask ourselves that same question today. Where art thou? Where art thou? God is there. God is present. But where are you? Are you hiding from God? Are you hiding from his presence? We find that God's presence was rejected by Adam and Eve. It wasn't God that left them. They rejected God. They hid from God. I'm saying to you today, God's promise is to never leave you, to never forsake you. God's promise, his presence was rejected in the garden by Adam and Eve. (coughs) And if that promise is not real in your life today, it's not because God isn't there. It's because that in some way, somewhere, it's you that's rejected his presence. But what happened when man rejected God's presence in the garden? God wanted them back. God came looking for them. God came seeking for them. I believe that that same God 
would have you back today. If you're not experiencing his presence in your life like you ought to. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16, the Bible says, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. What's the temple? That's the place where he lives. As a believer today, you're the temple of God. God lives within you. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God wants His presence to be experienced and known by you today. We find that it was God that called them back. It's God that's calling you back as we read here today. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 68 and verse 18, he says this, Psalm 68, verse 18, Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. What's he talking about? He's talking about the work that Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ is the one that ascended on high. Jesus Christ is the one that set the captives free. Why did he do that? That he might be present with you. That he might be in your presence. That he might live and dwell within you. Understand, that's what he came for, to save you. That you might become his temple. That he could live and dwell within you. You see, the promise of his presence cannot be denied. But God's presence can be rejected. And if you've rejected him for whatever reason, maybe you don't even know, maybe it's unintentional, but you know that you're not experiencing his presence there, well, it's not because God's gone anywhere. And if it's not there, I can assure you that God wants you back. You see, the defeat in the garden teaches us some things. It teaches us some things that separate us from God. We look back to the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 59, notice what he says in verse 1 and 2. He says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear you. God's people, God's people had rebelled against God. <laughs> they were going the wrong way. They were doing wrong things. But look, God said it's not because God's hand is too short. It's not because he's dull of hearing. Wherever you are, whatever your situation, God is there. God can hear you. God can reach down to you. He says, understand, it's your iniquities that have separated you from the presence of your God. It's your sins that has hid his face from you. It's your sins that's causing there to be a problem with him hearing your prayers. You see, we look and there's so many things and we can make a list. You know, 
so many times as we look at those things in the garden, lies and deception. You see, truth and honesty and openness conquer Satan's strongholds. But so many times we're not, we're not honest with others because we're not even honest with ourselves. <laughs> Envy. Fears of missing out on something else. <laughs> Isn't that what the devil told them? <laughs> uh, I know what God said, but, you know, hey, the reason he's really told you not to do this is because if you do this, man, you're going to be like him then. You're going to know everything that he knows. They wanted more. They were envious. Disobedience. I've said it time and time again. None of us have problem relating to the fact that Surely that it's sin, that it's wrong to murder someone. It's sin to rape someone. It's sin to do these hideous crimes. It's sin to commit adultery. It's sin to do all these things. But what about disobeying God? That's what Adam and Eve did. Yeah, they took the fruit, but it wasn't the fruit. It was the disobedience that was the sin. I don't know what fruit was on that tree. We picture it as an apple on earth. I don't know what fruit it was. But the sin was they disobeyed God. God said you can eat of any tree, anywhere except that one tree. They ate of it. They didn't become like God's. They separated themselves from the one and only true God. Shame and guilt. <laughs> Man, I meet so many Christians that they don't have that presence. They sometimes... Uh, you know, honesty is good for the soul, I guess. You know, you, you, your pastor is more real than, uh, than probably some of you sometimes. You ever feel like, I really can't pray and ask God for this? <laughs> I don't deserve it. <laughs> I don't deserve it. If I look at me, I'd never pray. If I was praying because I was good enough for God to hear me or good enough to be in his presence, it'll never happen. But what I do find is this. I find too many Christians that are walking around with all of this shame and guilt. Shame and guilt because either they haven't got it under the blood, they haven't asked forgiveness for what's wrong in their lives. Yes, you're a sinner. Yes, you will falter. Yes, you will do things wrong. But you don't have to lay there in the mud and wallow in it. Get up. He'll cleanse the mud off of you. You see... Adam and Eve were hiding <laughs> because they felt shame. <laughs> they were guilty, but they hadn't done anything to cover that shame and guilt. We must go to God, and we must seek forgiveness. You know, He promises us. He promises us that if we will, He will forgive us. He promises that if we'll confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Christian, that's a promise for you to take. So yes, if there's sin, shame, guilt in your life because you haven't dealt with it, then deal with it because that's separating you from the very presence of God in your life. He hasn't gone anywhere. He's still there. He's there for you. But may I say this also? Too many times, Christians go, and they get their forgiveness, and the devil throws it up. They're still feeling guilt and shame. God's already forgiven. God's already forgotten. Christians need to accept that forgiveness as well. 
Too many times, too many times, we go and we ask for forgiveness and we get up and we still feel guilty about it because we're not accepting His promise. Blame. <laughs> well, they were all good at it. I mean, Adam, no, it was Eve's fault. Eve, no, it was the devil's fault. Wanting to blame someone else, we have to accept responsibility for ourselves. You see, I don't know. What, I, what I'm trying to show is there's so many of these things in our life, but in the end, it's not God that's gone anywhere. May we grasp and understand. You can know the presence of God in your life, and you can know it today, and it can be real. God is there. He promised either God's a liar or He's there because He promised never to leave you, never to forsake you, and if you're not experiencing His presence, why is that so? Maybe it's some of those same things that separated Adam and Eve from God there in the garden. You see, if any of those things are in our lives today, you know, the devil himself, he doesn't want you to be in touch with God, I can promise you. We have to accept in, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, Notice what it says in verse 25. He says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Notice what he says next. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole still no more but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye have been sealed unto the day of redemption." You know, he's showing us that there's things in our lives that we just, we need to actively put away. You know if you're telling a lie. You know when you're doing these things that are wrong. You know, it's the sin that gives place to the devil. Don't give place to the devil by allowing sin to be in your life. You've got some choices in these things as to what you're going to do. I think of that verse so often. Just in the communications that I hear, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. How many things come out of our mouths that they don't edify, <laughs> and they certainly aren't grace in any way, shape, or form? We're complaining. We're pointing the finger. We're talking about all the horrible, bad things that this person's done or that person's done. And if I'm, you know, if I'm reading, it says let, what's the next word there? No, N-O, no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. There's only one thing that should come out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. I'm saying that everything that we say, it should be for the purpose of helping, of building up. That doesn't mean that we don't have to face some hard issues sometimes. And sometimes the truth does hurt. 
But it's the only way to get rid of it is to face it honestly and with the right attitude that we genuinely are trying to love and we're trying to care and we're trying to build up and not tear down. You see, God's presence was typified in so many of the things that we see throughout the Old Testament. The psalmist again wrote in Psalm 68, he said this in verse 8, Psalm 68 and verse 8, he said, The earth shook, the heavens also dropped at the presence of God. Even Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. I'm telling you something. It makes a difference when the presence of somebody in this world comes into our presence it makes a difference when God is present in your life, and it makes a present. It makes a difference when God's present with you. It makes a difference in the things around you. You see, looking back to the psalmist here, I mean, the cloud by day, the fire by night, God was with them in all of their travels, leading them, guiding them, showing them His presence was right there, all through the wilderness. We find that when God needed God Himself and the Holy Spirit came upon those individuals to, to accomplish the things that He needed accomplished in their lives, the fire filling the tabernacle and the, the temple, the glory of the presence of God, God promised that one day He would again dwell in His people in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. You see, I just want to remind you this morning, folks. I want to remind you of the promise of God's presence in your life. God has promised never. Multiply that. Put it in bold. Put exclamation marks after it. God has promised never, never, never to leave you. Never, never, never to forsake you. He is there with you. His presence is not the question. It's whether you are experiencing His presence or not. And if there's something there that's hindering you from His presence, don't reject God's presence as Adam and Eve did in the garden. God wants you back. We've seen that. God is looking for you. God wants your presence. We should learn from their mistakes. We need to realize that God always, always has been with his people to accomplish his work. And I want you to recognize in your life today that God's promise is to be with you. I want to give you one final thing, and then we'll pick up here next week. But the promise of God's presence is not just of some mystical power, something that you can feel. It's not just some, <coughs> it's not some vapor. It's not, I mean, even though that it was typified in the clouds and the fire and all of those things, God's presence is a person. It's He as a person, God that is with you himself. 
back in Matthew chapter 1 and in verse 23. Matthew chapter 1 and in verse 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. May I say that when Jesus came, he didn't come as just some spiritual entity. He came as a real person. He, in the flesh, was God with us. Again, the prophet Isaiah described this in, in Isaiah chapter 52, a passage that is very, very familiar. He says in in verse 1 and 2 of that chapter, Awake, awake, put on thy strength, O Zion. Put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For henceforth there shall no more come unto thee the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake thyself from the dust, arise and sit down, O Jerusalem. Look thyself from the bands of thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion. We find that Jesus Christ, the people, they were all bound up in all of the things around them, all the things that, that really was not the things that would enhance the presence of God. He said in the next chapter, verse, in chapter 53, who hath believed our report? You see, when we get bound up in all those things of the world, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Who is he revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And as a root out of a dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness, and when he shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He grew up as a tender plant among people. He wasn't immune to the pain and the troubles. The Bible says he was there, he came to his own, and his own received him not. He was there, but they didn't even know him. Matter of fact, he was actually physically present for 33 and a half years. And as he walked this earth in that body, there came the time when he completed that work that he had to leave. But when he left, it wasn't so that he would not be with us, but so that he could be with each and every one of us. When he was here upon this earth physically, Surely when his presence, if he had walked in this place physically, I don't know, but I don't think somebody would have had to say, that's Jesus. <laughs> I think his presence would have been known. But, folks, we fail to really remember and quote the verses and, and talk about the verses all the time. Again, in John chapter 14, Jesus said that he, as a person, as God, that he would be present with us. In John chapter 14, 16, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. In chapter 16, in verse 7, he goes on to say, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you. It is expedient for you. It's important for you. It's necessary for you that I go away, he said. For if I go not away... The Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. That's important. Chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, 
and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. You have all of God as a person, God. That triune being, God. When you've got the Holy Spirit present within you, you have God present with you. You have Jesus Christ present with you. You see, I want you to experience the presence of God. I want all of us to experience that in reality. We don't need a bunch of religion. We don't need a bunch of just things that we know about that we can even tell others about. We need God in our lives. He came to save us so that He could live within us, so that He could be part of us, so that we could be with Him forever. His promise is, if we can't believe that He's never going to leave us, that He's never going to forsake us, then how can we believe Him when He says He'll forgive us for our sins, that He'll cleanse us, that He'll take up His abode within us? Today, folks, we need to understand you can experience the presence of God. God is there. God has promised that He's there. His presence is a promise to you. And that promise is of a person, Him. It's not just knowing about religion. It's not just knowing about some faith. It's not about, it's God present in your life when He takes His abode in you. I want you to experience that. You're here today, and we'll look at some more things next week, God willing. But if you're here today, you need to know more than just knowing about Jesus. You need to know more than just knowing about the things that he did. You need Jesus Christ in your life. You need to recognize as a sinner, your sin separates you from God. There is only one way and one way alone that you can ever be brought into communion with the God, your Creator, and that's for the sin to be gotten out of the way. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father except through Him because in Him is the only place your sin can be dealt with. And I promise you here today, you're God's creation God wants to have communion with you. He wants your sin to be dealt with so that His presence, that He can take up His abode in your life. When you become a child of God, God moves in. If you're here today and He hasn't moved into your life, then today is the day that you need to do that before you worry about anything else in your life. And I challenge you and I encourage you, don't leave this place without Him. But Christians, you need more than just a religious experience. You need the presence of God known in your life. It's so wonderful. And it can just gradually get deadened and, and, and move away from We need that presence. Understand today that the presence of God is a promise from God. His presence is not because He's not there. It's because it's something in your life that's causing you to be separated from that presence. He he, God, it's a personal relationship. He, God, takes up residence in your life. He is present. But are you experiencing that presence today? Christian, if there's something in your life, if that experience of his presence isn't real today, today, don't you want to get honest? 
Don't you want to do something about it? Or do you want to continue? I mean, with Adam and Eve, God made the skins for them, and they came out, and they were reunited with God. But you can still be hiding in the bushes if you want. God has offered the covering for your sin, and God will cover it for you today. Whether you're lost or whether you're saved, the covering can only be the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're not experiencing the presence of God today, then why not come and do so? Father, I thank you this morning, and Lord, I guess that if it were up to me, if I could plead and ask and invite long enough that whoever needs to come today would come, then I would do so, Lord. But the reality is, is that, Lord, I don't know anybody's heart here today. But I do pray if there's some that don't know you, may this be the day they come to you. And Lord, if there's Christians here, they know that they're saved. They know that they've sought that forgiveness. But Lord, they're not experiencing your presence in their life. Lord, help them, help them to understand your presence was a promise. And Lord, your presence is a person. You. You want them to experience that. So today I pray for any Christian that's here that, Lord, if there's something that's hindering that experience of your presence in their lives today, help them today. Help them to deal with it. Help them, Lord, today to leave here knowing. Knowing, not just as a fact, but, Lord, that your presence is real as you live within them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.